0: to Climate Watch, a podcast that delves deep into the pressing issues of climate change. I'm Gao Junya. The two-week-long UN Climate Conference, COP28, has concluded with a historic consensus to accelerate global climate action. The consensus has put forward a slew of measures to meet 2030 goals regarding mitigation, adaptation, finance, and fossil fuel regulation. In today's program, we discuss China's efforts in global climate governance and actions. During the just-concluded COP28, China hosted over 100 side events to share its strategies, practices, and cut-edging technologies in the green and low-carbon transition. China is also helping other developing countries in their energy transition, As of November, China had signed 48 South-South cooperation documents on climate response with 40 developing countries, assisting in launching projects and training programs. For more on China's contributions at COP28 and global climate efforts, I have spoken with Guo Hongyu, deputy director of environmental think tank Green Innovation Hub, and a participant in the COP28 proceedings. Could you give us an overview of G Hub's involvement at COP twenty eight? What activities did G Hub organize or participate at the event?
1: G Hub has been attending the UN Triple COPs since two thousand twelve, and uh, this year as one of the largest COP, which was attended by. A hundred thousand participants, Jihab has been tracking the climate negotiations and organize UN side events and also co-organize or participate in the meetings in China pavilion. And we also organize a event in another thematic pavilion, which is Solar Plus pavilion. Mm-hmm. It is co-organized by a Chinese NGO and a Chinese solar company. And during our UN side events, which is finance for resilience, we co-organized it with the Boston University Global Development Policy Center, where we invited speakers from the UN agency, Multilateral Development Bank, the international think tank, as well as Chinese think tank, to discuss the status quo and also the challenges, as well as opportunities for mobilizing finance for climate resilience in the context of increasing debt burden from the of the developing countries and uh, we also talked about how to promote the green and low carbon cooperation along the belt and road participating countries and also the role of civil society engaging in the global climate governance and also the international cooperation
0: Mm. Yeah, Director Guo, you mentioned a lot of, a number of activities, actually. You you participated, you know, at uh, COP28 with different partners. Let's say, have you observed an increasing impact of NGOs like G-Hub at UN climate change conferences? What specific influences are we talking about here?
1: Well, the NGOs have been, or the environmental NGOs have been one of the constituencies of the UN UNICCC process, the environmental NGOs have been playing a very active role in engaging with the UN climate change conferences and in many ways. Some of the NGOs work on the providing the policy submissions and also to make the statements at the plenaries of the UN climate change conferences to raise the voice of the environmental NGOs in the global climate governance. And also there are NGOs who organize UN side events and also pavilion events to foster the international dialogues on the emerging issues or the key issues or challenges faced at local, national or international level, for example, on the loss and damage or adaptation. Also, when the climate talks or climate negotiations don't go quite well during the two weeks, there are also NGOs who will make uh, calls in the venue, outside the venue, and demanding or urging delegations or countries to take the steps required to deal with the climate change crisis. And um, all these uh, efforts are very important to provide a uh, momentum from a bottom-up approach to uh, contribute to the, um, to the global willingness and also global action on climate change.
0: Mm. And you mentioned China Pavilion. Actually, I got a little bit of information about this China Pavilion from the WeChat post of your organization. And can you tell us a bit more about the China Pavilion at COP28? How has it been received by attendees? And what are some of the features or exhibits or events you know it has?
1: As mentioned, this is one of the largest COP. And uh, from my perspective, I think... China Pavilion also attracted a lot of participants from around the world in the two weeks where uh, there are really very intensive discussions from the morning to the evening scheduled for the China Pavilion on a range of topics. And every day it has a specific theme for the discussion. For example, it has the South-South Cooperation, and it also has uh, the Finance Day, etc. And also it has the uh, energy transition. So all these thematic areas, there will be the international and national speakers from different sectors, from the governments, from think tanks, financial institutions and companies, as well as youth organizations and civil societies who will present their findings and also to make their recommendations or share their uh, good experiences from their local actions in climate adaptation, mitigation, mobilizing finance, or capacity building. There are actually two sections in China Pavilion. Mm -hmm. uh, And the second section, I think, is one of the features of the China Pavilion. Uh, is that it adds one section for the whole area and it provides extra space and extra time for more discussions. And the second section was also supported by the consortium of Chinese civil society, of Chinese NGOs. And in the second section, there were also many discussions organized by the Chinese civil societies in collaboration with the global and uh, national think tanks and companies and the financial institutions. And in addition to the discussions of the meetings, very intensive meetings with mm-hmm. very distinguished speakers, mm-hmm. there were also some exhibits outside the pavilion. And uh, one of it is to write Chinese calligraphy for international participants. Mm -hmm. So it is like ongoing uh, visitors from around the world to ask our volunteers at the pavilion to write down their names in Chinese or write down their vision for climate change in Chinese calligraphy.
0: Mm, Sounds like a lot of interesting events and also intense discussions went on there at the China pavilion. I think this also indicates China's increasing involvement in global you know, climate change governance and talks and um, actions. Can you share with us some highlights of China's involvement and contributions at COP28 that you observed?
1: Uh, well, I think even before COP28, the joint statement between China and the US on climate change also sends a very positive signal or injects positive momentum to the COP28 discussions. In the joint statement, China indicates that it will enhance the next nationally determined contributions, which is the National Climate Action Plans with a time frame of 2035 and with an economy-wide a scope and covering all types of greenhouse gas emissions. And also in the joint statement, China and the U.S. also supported the outcome of G20 on tripling the renewable energy capacity before 2030. This was also integrated into the final decision text of COP28. We saw that there are really encouraging outcomes from the decisions of COP28. One is the tripling of renewable energy capacity before 2030. Another is doubling the energy efficiency. Also, the nations have agreed to accelerate the efforts of face down the unabated coal power. And we also know that China has already committed to stop building new coal power plants overseas. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, also regarding the renewable energy targets, China is on, on track or even overachieve the goal of 1,200 gigawatt installation of wind and power within basin DC. Mm-hmm. And uh, so China's progress in renewable energy development, in the EV development, as well as in the mobilizing finance, all contribute to a positive role to the COP28 discussions. And also on the methane, China and U.S. also agreed to work together on reducing the emissions from methane, and it is also integrated in the final decision of the COP28.
0: Mm, yeah, it, apparently China is a leading player in global green development. And it's good to know that China has been collaborating with developed countries and developing countries in contributing the realization of you know sustainable development across the world. Um, I'd like to come to you personally. I know that this is not your first experience at a UN climate change conference. You just indicated before our interview that you have been attending such events since 2015. So that's quite a long time. What changes have you observed over these years?
1: I think it is a very critical time in 2015 when the world uh, the nations agreed to adopt the Paris agreement and setting the framework of global efforts for climate change thereafter and uh, since then we've seen some ups and downs of the global climate governance but throughout these ups and downs, China has remained uh, very determined and committed to deliver and implement its own nationally determined contributions, as well as to uphold the multilateralism and the South South cooperation on climate change, no matter what the, the other nations did or didn't commit to do. And uh, also, we've seen that in addition to the global uh, like uh, global political will at the industry level we are also seeing that technology innovation has really accelerated the transition away from fossil fuels on and the transition towards the renewable energy based economies and uh, the cost of wind and solar have been dropped dramatically. We've also seen the technology cost or the generation cost of wind and solar dropped rapidly due to the really rapid development of China's wind and solar manufacturing capacity in China and globally, and due to the technology innovation. Also, China has been playing a more and more active role in supporting the developing countries in dealing with climate change. China has made the pledge to support the green and low-carbon energy development of developing countries. Also, China has mobilized 12 trillion RMB for South-South cooperation on climate change, and uh, all these efforts have made a positive contribution to the global climate change. Meanwhile, there was also a global trend of increase. In climate risks that we cannot ignore in the past few years. Around the world, we've seen that the increasing floods, heats, wildfires, it all really pose a serious threat to the to the vulnerable people and also to the communities on the front line. And uh, with this increasing climate risks, there's increasing emphasis from around the world on enhancing the climate resilience, not only just uh, uh, increasing the mitigation efforts. And increasing the climate resilience requires more public finance to support the infrastructure, to support the early warning system, and to support the capacity building on building the climate resilience.
0: Yeah, Director Guo, yes, you mentioned the global climate actions have been going through ups and downs, but I think based on your observations, it's just things are going on the right track. It's on the positive side. Can I assume that COP28 is making substantive progress towards global climate goals?
1: Because the way that UNCCC works is based on consensus reached by 190 plus parties. So there are diverging views and uh, nations have to work on a position that are not ideal to everyone but acceptable to everyone. And uh, uh, in this COP, we've seen that on the first day in the opening plenary, nations have completed the operationalization of the loss and damage fund, which is uh, already a positive progress. And in addition to this fund, We've also seen there are decisions about tripling the renewable energies, doubling the energy efficiency by 2030, and also accelerate the the face down of unabated coal power and also the um, reduction of methane and also The uh, emphasis on the low carbon transport, in addition to all these mitigation efforts, we also seen that nations have completed the work on global adaptation framework, which has been demanded by the developing countries to provide guidance for nations to uh, establish their own national adaptation actions Mm -hmm. and build the resilience against climate impacts. And uh, we've also seen with all these efforts, because there's always saying that the global warming has reached 1.1 degree or even 1.2 degree above the pre-industrial levels, the outcomes from the COP28 didn't close the window or keep the 1.5 degree within reach as so spoke Mm. by the co-presidency. It does have made concrete progress, but if we want to make sure that we can achieve the 1.5 degrees, nations really need to ensure the actual implementation of their targets agreed this year, and also to make sure to provide the Financial support, technology transfer, as well as capacity building, urgently required by developing countries.
0: I, I can imagine just how hard it's to call upon all the efforts across different, across the world among different countries, to move towards this, you know, one one goal. But definitely, like you said, progress is there, and progress is going to be made. Mm. Actually, some people are claiming that COP28 itself is not environmental-friendly. It's a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions. Like you said, you know, over 100,000 people were there. And do you agree with this comment? I believe there must be some measures that have been taken there to conserve energy and promote sustainability. Can you share with us some specific measures? I've heard about some Chinese electric buses running around there.
1: Yeah, it is the accusation for every COP because people around the world are flying in to uh, gather together and uh, to have meetings in really cold meeting rooms with strong air conditioning. So it is sometimes uh, feel bad for joining this COP. And I always heard from some of the colleagues or partners thinking whether they will join the next time due to the high emissions and also due to the sometimes slow progress of the negotiations. Mm -hmm. So it is uh, indeed uh, some of the concerns of many people. And also, uh, usually for the COP presidencies, they usually take some measures to mitigate for example, like the electric buses you mentioned, and also since a few cops before, mm-hmm. they started to adopt a paperless meeting. I remember there's a time when the UNI triple C secretaries uh, are handing out draft text in paper, and then. I think a few years back, they stopped doing that and encouraged people to use all the electric to read the materials online. Mm-hmm. And um, since I attended every year, they provided the, the uh, free Metro card or free bus card for all the participants and encourage them to take the public transport for free when they uh, transit from the hotels to the venue. I remember some of the chairs were made by recycled materials, mm. but still, with all the people coming together, it is indeed a, a use a lot of energy uh, and resources. It is really difficult for nations to negotiate a text remotely. So during the pandemic, some of the meetings, the intersectionals are held uh, virtually, but due to the time zone difference, it's really difficult for some of the nations, especially small island nations or some least developed country delegates to have a stable internet access to join meaningful discussion in the negotiation. So uh, for the delegations, they call for in-person meeting to Mm -hmm. uh, negotiate, especially when there are really taking issues that have very diverging views. Sometimes the parties need to have us huddles or in the in the corridor to have face-to-face discussion and trying to find a compromise of these diverging views. So in that sense, it is indeed uh, necessary for these delegations to have these in-person meetings.
0: Yeah, I think there are some encouraging moves that's been taken there. Maybe they should be even promoted to our daily lives or our working environment, like paperless drafts. Um, Now, let's go back to G-Hub. We know that G-Hub's vision is raised to a net-zero and nature-positive future. And you've also mentioned the important role of NGOs playing in global climate negotiations and actions. How do you assess China's current efforts in carbon neutrality, and what could G-Hub contribute in this field?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, China has been taking great efforts in dealing with climate change, achieving a green, low carbon, and uh, resilient transition. Since the adoption of the Paris Agreement, as I mentioned, China has been playing a increasingly active role in both global climate governance and at national climate actions. In 2020, we've seen that China committed to achieve carbon peaking before 2030 and carbon neutrality before uh, 2060. This is a very clear policy signal of uh, long-term and economy-wide decarbonization pathway lying ahead for all sectors and for everyone to change our production and consumption model and to change the lifestyle that we adopt. And so far, China has been on track or even ahead of track of delivering of its international climate commitments. For example, China has overachieved its 2020 goals, and now China is on track to overachieve its renewable energy or wind and solar targets for the next cycle. China's EV sales and production have remained as the world leading country or market. Our green and low carbon technologies and capacities also benefit the world in terms of reducing the cost, advancing the technology, and providing the uh, energy access for uh, developing countries. With this year's COP, with a new set of targets, uh, I really look forward to see China to accelerate, to build on the existing progress and accelerate the uh, transition towards the, uh, a more resilient and inclusive and climate-friendly economy. As for G-Hub's contribution, uh, well, uh, g has been working on this field since 2012, based on uh, evidence-based research. And we conduct cutting-edge research on the emerging issues regarding uh, climate and sustainability. And we try to open up a space for multi-stakeholder discussion and effective policy making and implementation Based on our research and uh, dialogues, and uh, um, in addition to this, we foster international dialogues and uh, mutual trust between Chinese civil society and uh, and other countries uh, or our counterparts by sharing China's experiences and lessons in climate action.
0: That was Guo Hongyu, deputy director of environmental think tank Green Innovation Hub. <music> Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Now let's follow Yang Guang for the latest climate developments around the world.
2: Chinese scientists have developed a new model for subseasonal forecasts using artificial intelligence. This represents a significant advancement in AI climate modeling by extending the forecasting range to 42 days. The Asian Development Bank has approved a US$32 million financing package to strengthen Laos' response to climate change. The world's first hydrogen-powered tugboat is now ready for operation in Belgium. A report indicates health risks are surging in Britain due to climate change. The report estimates that there will be up to 10,000 deaths in the country by the 2050s due to extreme heat. The Worldwide Fund for Nature is teaming up with Zambia to plant 10,000 trees at the source of Africa's fourth longest river, the Zambiwi River. At least 100 elephants have died from the El Nino-induced droughts in Zimbabwe's largest game reserve. A study says the surface air temperatures this summer were the warmest ever observed in the Arctic. Overall, this year is the Arctic's sixth warmest year on record.
0: That's all we have for this edition of Climate Watch. To listen to this episode again and to catch up on our previous episodes, you can search Climate Watch on major podcast platforms or visit our website, radio.cgtm.com. You can also contact us via email, radio at cgtm.com. Climate Watch is a weekly podcast brought to you by CGTN Radio. I'm Gao Junya.
2: See you next time.